Hey, and welcome to Hungry to Learn. My name is Birga. You know, there are a few things that cause you to question your faith, like having teenagers. Witnessing their struggles to understand the condition of the world brings up this whole host of issues that may have been just totally happily dormant at the back of your mind. Long gone are those days of the inquisitive three-year-old who continues to ask the question, why, why, why? And then, you know, ultimately you blow your lid with just because. Those days, they're over. Now, it's the questions of a 16 or a 17 year old that are passionate and they're desperate. They roll their eyes out of frustration. You see their tears of perceived injustice and just the general looks of confusion on their face can totally leave you tossing and turning at night, wondering if you did well, did you respond correctly? You know, this has really been my personal experience for the last 18 months or so. And honestly, there have been days that I've been just totally rocked. I don't know that I've been knocked off my feet entirely, but I'm absolutely nowhere near as solid as I very naively thought I was before I entered into this season. I got some wise counsel from a friend who shared recently that if the faith of a teen cannot be their own until they struggle through it. And I really spent some time reflecting on that, and I found myself wondering if I personally had ever gone through that kind of a struggle. Because belief has just always come easy to me. I never questioned the authority of scripture. My relationship with God was always just there. Jesus has been a constant in my life from the earliest memories that I have. So I found myself really having to wrestle through some of these issues now. And depending on my mood on any particular day, the timing for this wrestling couldn't be worse. Or maybe it couldn't be better. Because here's the deal. Professionally, I'm responsible for building programs around scripture engagement. My role is to connect with marginalized communities, to give them access to hope and the transformation that's possible through the hearing of God's word. Sounds simple enough, right? Not hardly. So the problem really begins before I even send my first email of the day. It's because our country has a long and a mixed history of Christians' treatment of who we would consider the, quote, least of these. Of course, there's always going to be these beautiful stories of compassion and love that's been extended in the name of Christ. But there's also accounts of horrendous pain that has been inflicted by perpetrators that hide behind the mask of religious righteousness. It's the behavior of those cowardly Christians hiding behind their masks that has caused my children to ask really hard questions. And if I'm being honest, I found myself having some of those same questions as well. I'm really finding it necessary in the season to define for myself what is it that I really believe? Do I believe that scripture can transform someone's life? I do. Do I believe that it matters how scripture is delivered and how it's used? Absolutely. So I'm naturally a storyteller and I find myself frequently trying to organize my thoughts through the process of converting my questions into a narrative. And so I kind of developed this allegory that I want to share with you. I want to say up front, though, I don't want you to read too much into it. I certainly hope this is a picture that maybe adds some structure to my own thoughts and helps bring clarity to anybody else who has been slogging through similar confusion. But there's plenty of potholes in my allegory. And so, you know, just treat it gingerly. 
but I've entitled it Life is a Highway. Here we go. So imagine that your life is a highway that's just stretched out before you. You can't see where it began and you cannot see where it's going to end. And you find yourself piloting a vehicle. So consider for a second, what are you driving? What pops into your mind? From your vantage point, you're on a hilltop rest area and you see a wide array of vehicles. There's horse-drawn carriages, bullet bikes, classic cars, school buses, the works. There's cars broken down on the side of the road. There's drivers cruising along without a care in the world. And God's designed all of these vehicles. He's crafted them carefully and artistically. He's also lovingly written a universal owner's manual to give explanation about the design and the operation of the vehicle that, that you're driving, the vehicle that anyone is driving. And there's clear instructions for how to keep the vehicle working well. There are certain fuels that shouldn't be put into the tank. There's directions about what fluids do need to be added. The manual mentions the periodic checkups that you need to do and maintenance best practices that will allow the vehicle to run well for decades. However, there's those that will just drive. They don't give any thought about how to maintain the vehicle. They don't check the oil. They don't pay attention to the air in the tires. It's not until the car breaks down that they consider anything beyond their cruising speed. Sometimes other drivers will come upon these broken down vehicles and they'll slowly drive by wondering if they should do something to help kind of assess the situation, but ultimately they just keep on going. Then there's other drivers. They're going to stop long enough to throw a copy of the universal owner's manual out the window, kind of lands with a foot on the pavement and the disabled driver looks at it with just utter bewilderment. And then the other driver just continues on down the road. Thankfully, there's a few drivers who are going to take the time to pull over. They're going to open up the manual. They're going to explain to the disabled driver how the information is going to help them make the necessary adjustments so they can get going again. So both drivers feel pretty elated. They've been able to restore function, but then they quickly part ways. So after a few miles, the driver who had broken down earlier sees smoke billowing out of the engine. Frustrated and angry, he pulls over to the side of the road. His car lurches to a stop in a muddy and a slippery rut. The exasperated driver knows that even if he's able to fix the engine, he's not going to have the needed traction to get out of the mud. But now along comes a tow truck driver who quickly assesses the problem. He joyfully hooks up the disabled vehicle while its driver climbs into the cab of the truck. The tow truck driver asks where he should take the car. The owner, who's uncertain of who's going to best service his vehicle, does a quick Google search and they end up at the nearest service station. And let's just assume, for the sake of time and argument, that that service station is going to serve him well. So now back out on the main highway you see a bullet bike blast past. The driver has thrown the owner's manual in his backpack and he's racing ahead. He believes no, no harm can befall him. So he hasn't put on a helmet, he hasn't put on any protective gear, and you find your heart just catching in your throat because you're remembering another young driver that you knew from your past who had suffered life-changing injuries as he had been clipped by a sedan whose driver didn't see him coming. He was never the same again after that accident. So you simply shoot up a quick prayer of protection for this clueless young man on the bullet bike. But next down the road comes a motorcycle club. They're in helmets and they're in full leather gear. They've got matching patches and flags and they cruise together. Now this mass of bikes is highly visible. They provide great protection by traveling in a gang. 
So this club is on a mission to render assistance to drivers that are broken down by the side of the road. They've come equipped with tools, they've got sandwiches, extra copies of the Universal's owner's manual, and some of the drivers that they assist had been languishing there on the side of the road so long that they eagerly snatch up the food and the manual. Others, though, they complain about the type of sandwich they're being offered, and they point to the owner's manual that they already have, lying unused on the back seat. And the bike club moves on. Next, a noisy school bus catches your attention. It's full of youth, singing loudly, waving their owner's manuals out the window on their way to a conference. Depending on the mentality of the driver, the bus may or may not stop to help stranded passengers on the side of the road. Then you see a practical four-door sedan that passes by. A frazzled mom is driving and two kids are fighting in the back seat. Her husband is driving in a pickup truck following right behind them. He's talking on the phone, making business deals, but he's failed to notice that the toolbox in the bed of his truck has come open and the owner's manual is flapping wildly threatening to leap out at the next bump in the road. And finally, you see a minivan. It's carrying a few adults who are all talking over one another, trying to make themselves heard. They see a young, confused driver who has become stranded. They exit the van, and then these people start to ask some questions and actually become enraged at the ignorance and even the defiance that they sense in this young driver. Voices raised, they start to ask why things haven't been done differently then they actually begin to strike this young driver with the copies of the owner's manual. All of a sudden, this loud noise overhead startles you, and you look up and you see a hot air balloon whose occupants are throwing miniature manuals over the side. Most of the booklets end up landing on the road and are quickly run over by drivers, but a few land alongside the highway, and occasionally they may be picked up by curious drivers. Now getting into your own vehicle, you begin heading down the road. After a few miles, you realize that you're running low on gas, and you scout the road ahead for a filling station. As one comes into view, you look at the cost. It's much higher than you had wanted to pay. So, thinking you can make it to the next stop before you run out, you press on. But sweat begins to pour from your face as you're watching that low light, or that low fuel light come on the dashboard. You don't see another station anywhere, and now you're just mad at yourself for not having stopped the last one and paying a few more bucks. Thankfully, just in the nick of time, you finally spot a station up ahead, and you are running on fumes as you pull in, your temper now flaring, because you see the cost of gas is even higher here. So you put the nozzle into the car, and as you're filling up, you're greeted by a fellow traveler at the pump. She begins to strike up a conversation about where you're going and what milestones you might have encountered so far. Her friendly demeanor does put you at ease, and she asks if you're in a hurry, and if not, do you guys want to go inside and have a chat over a cup of coffee? And before you know it, you and the friendly traveler have been talking for hours. She's referenced her owner's manual a few times and explained certain portions in a way that you'd never considered before. She's offered, offered you her phone number, and she's encouraged you to call whenever you need to chat. But more than that, she's insisted that you meet her at a particular landmark in just a few days' time. Leaving the gas station, you actually feel this sense of hope rising up in you, an encouragement that hasn't been there for a long time. Within a few months, you and your new friend have stopped at many landmarks along the highway. Some have been in ruins, and others have been crafted with awe-inspiring skill. You find that you've learned some remarkable lessons with each stop. But despite having found a traveling companion, you still have had times along your journey that you become distracted, and you've run out of gas. You've been tempted to retreat into isolation, 
but you swallowed your pride and you called your friend, who quickly came to your aid without condemnation. Weeks later, your friend had to call on you for help because her car was struck by an incapacitated driver. And you found that though traveling together may at times really slow you down, it's so much safer than driving alone. So how do I end this little story of mine? You know, I've thought through many endings and I've wanted to share it and just scrapped it. So I think it's just going to suffice to say that the owner ma owner's manual matters, but how you use it is also really important. It isn't a weapon to harm fellow travelers with. It's also not something that should be shoved in a trunk or a backpack never to be consulted. Instead, it's full of rich and powerful instructions on optimal living. And used in community, it only serves to strengthen your understanding and application. So as you travel down the highway, be on the lookout for people you can help, but also be willing to receive the help of others. And I'll close out with this passage from Psalm 1611. This is the New King James Version. It reads, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Safe traveling, my friends. May God bless you richly on the journey. You're listening to Hungry to Learn.